Happy Sabbath, everyone. It's great to see the bright faces this morning. You have to bear with us. We are. Uh, we have to get through the challenge of being able to display this and charge it at the same time. Does everyone have a good rest? Yes. Ready for the Sabbath day? Yes. You had a good rest so that you could rest today, right? <laughs> Amen. Well, I have the privilege of sharing with you this morning uh, Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. This is a continuation of what we have been talking about or what we had talked about on Thursday. And uh, what we talked about on Thursday was how to be content in Christ. We've seen that in the first century that the, the Jews were encountering a lot of issues within the church. And this was distracting them. This was distracting them. The, the various false doctrines and debates were, were distracting them from what Christ had done and uh, what he was doing for them in the heavenly sanctuary. And so, as we continue on, we'll see that Hebrews, like I had mentioned before, is a continuation all throughout the book. It's a, it's a sermon letter. It's a very unique book. Has anyone studied through Hebrews here before? Yeah? Awesome. It's, uh, along with the book of Romans, it's one of the most thorough expositions of the gospel. So if you place Hebrews and Romans side by side, you're getting the big picture. And uh, although I'm not able to grasp the the big picture, uh, I think we have a powerful message uh, because this is something that I've experienced and that I've gone through, and I hope that if you're going through the same thing or you do in the future, that you'll be able to have confidence in Christ. And that, that's the title of the sermon this morning. Let's uh, bow our heads before we get into the Word this morning. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Lord, creator of heaven and earth, we thank you for the Sabbath day that we can enter into your rest. It's our desire this morning to learn from the book of Hebrews. We know that there's a special message there for all of us. We desire to learn from your early movement and learn why they did not enter into that full rest that you had promised them from the beginning. Lord, speak through me. I'm just a vessel. May your name be glorified and praised today. Please engage all of our minds in your word, because this is all about you, and help us to consider Jesus this morning. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Confidence through the conflict. Please turn with me this morning to Hebrews chapter 3. We pick up in Hebrews 3 to explore how to consider Jesus. Actually, before we get to 3, we'll go to chapter 2. And we're beginning in verse 14 on to 16. 
Notice here what Paul says. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that is Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who had the power of death, that is who? The devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Paul here is doing what any brilliant pastor would do. In chapter 1, he, he hits on a main uh, point in salvation history, and that was in Eden. And now he's working through the narrative, and he comes to exile, from Eden to exile. And he's trying to help the early Christians consider Jesus through this salvation history. And so, in this little section here, it leads into chapter 3, Paul's explaining how Christ took on human nature to identify with suffering humanity so that he could die the death and destroy the devil to rescue earth's captive inhabitants. This then is the basis for which Christ can be considered as apostle and high priest. Patrick had mentioned yesterday morning that the gospel can only be seen in the context of the great controversy. And isn't that what Paul's doing here? Let's read chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. Therefore, holy brethren, therefore, knowing these things, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. You see, before someone could be a captain of, it, of anything, they have to be a crew member. Jesus was the captain of our salvation. He had to go what we went through, suffer what we suffered. He had to be tempted in all points as we are, or are, yet without sin. And then he could become the captain. And then he could identify with us. And Paul's saying, consider Christ through the conflict. And it's interesting that he says apostle and he says high priest. You got to get this idea that a, a, an apostle is one who's sent out to build the church and we know that the high priest was there to maintain the church. So having, having laid the foundation then for the church, he says, consider Jesus, because he's building upon that foundation. And then once he's built it, he'll maintain it. And we should have confidence in this. You know, in, in um, early Judaic tradition, Moses is highly revered very highly revered. In fact, in, in some of the rabbinical writings in the late first century, you'll see that he's almost seen as a god. And uh, here, Paul wants to make sure that he confirms that Moses, yes, he was important, but Christ is far more better than Moses ever was. We pick up here in verse 6. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. 
and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting firm unto the end. One thing that I failed to mention was that that word consider in the Greek is kata neo, which, which means to contemplate. So here what we're doing is we're contemplating how Christ has built the church in order for us to, to see how he's going to maintain it. So we need to consider his life and ministry. So come with me in your minds to Christ's ministry. Let's look at it from a bird's eye view. The conditions that surrounded the life and ministry of Christ was very adverse. He trained 12. He discipled 70. He had to deal with their unfaithfulness and and their hard-heartedness. He had to deal with a lot of opposition and at the same time train these disciples and completely invest his life in them. Meanwhile, he had to stay faithful himself. I mean, this was intense. And, and, at, and I'm sure you've read in Desire of Ages and whatnot, when Christ goes through the wilderness experience, that was the most intense temptations that anyone could ever go through. And I believe that it, it continued that way to, to Gethsemane and even to the cross. So consider him. He had to help the sick and the suffering. But yet, but yet, after all of that, he could say that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. Yet, he could say, Father, I have done everything that you have sent me to do. Consider Jesus as apostle. Consider Jesus as apostle. And so, once again, a pastor wants to let his congregation know, yes, you can have confidence, but this is what you don't do. He'll continue to speak, and in verse 7, he says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the day of rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. What was threatening Israel from maintaining their confidence and rejoicing in God's plans and purposes for them was their unbelief and their hard-heartedness. You know, it's interesting in Psalms 95... In Psalms 95, it adds something that Paul doesn't add here. It doesn't necessarily detract from it, but it gives us a little bit more of insight on what he's trying to say. Psalms 95, 7 to 9 says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, on the day at Massa, in the wilderness. So this is a, a specific place that he's referring to. He's saying, don't do what they did at this specific place, but why this place? Why this place specifically? Well, it's interesting because at Meribah and at Massa, this was the, the first testing. This was the first place of testing for Israel. If you'll recall, 
Yahweh, the I am, had just finished revealing himself to Israel in a bigger and better way than he ever had before. In a bigger and better way than he had with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He revealed himself as creator and he revealed himself as redeemer there in Egypt. He performed miracles and he miraculously helped them escape the hand of the Egyptians. I mean, could you imagine? Could you imagine seeing a sea split in front of your very own eyes? Wouldn't that be an amazing experience? Like, how could you forget that? How could you forget that? See, this was the single most powerful display of Yahweh's delivering power. And it was the birth of God's kingdom movement. God was trying to do a big thing with his people, bigger than he ever had before. And so he had to reveal himself in a bigger way in proportion to that. He was teaching them step by step. He was gradually revealing himself to, to them so that they could have confidence through the conflict. And so here in Exodus, right after the Red Sea deliverance, in Exodus 14, 30 and 31, this is a, this is a remarkable uh, uh, passage here because you can't find a passage in most of the Old Testament that will talk about Israel being really faithful. But here, out of all places, it says, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. This was the highest peak of Israel's experience. And that was expressed through the Song of Moses. You can find that in Exodus 15. And it's amazing what's in there because they start rejoicing in God for having brought them to his holy habitation and, and planting them in his sanctuary. But yet they're not there yet. You see what faith they had? They had utmost extreme faith. But what went wrong? Why is Paul here saying, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts like in that day? Well, it's, it's very simple. It's very simple. God, having revealed himself as creator, expected them to believe in him as sustainer. They needed to not just ride on the wave of their high experience, but even when it came hell or high water, he wanted them to maintain the commitment that they had from the beginning, to, to maintain that confidence and that rejoicing that they had there at the Red Sea. And perhaps you can think in your life, perhaps you can think in your life a time where you had a Red Sea experience. Maybe you just had heard of the Adventist church for the first time. And you couldn't believe that God had a movement. God had a movement which was founded on a prophetic destiny. I mean, that's what happened in my life in 2008, and it was phenomenal. I mean, I had something to live for. But you know, 
as time went on, I began to realize that, wait, I'm not going to have those experiences every step of the way. And that's, and that's obvious. But at the time, it's hard to see that because you're at such a high point in your experience. And all of a sudden, there's inconveniences. All of a sudden, you're going through some stuff that you never thought you'd go through. You know what Israel had done because, because they'd gone through that is they developed a complex of entitlement. A complex of entitlement. And this actually mirrored the same complex that Satan had in heaven when the great controversy began. Didn't you promise me that I, I, that I had power? Didn't you make me to be in a high position? Uh, didn't you do this for me in the past? And now why, why, won't, why won't you reveal to me the secrets or the, the secrets of your counsels like, like Satan was disgruntled about? Perhaps you've gone through this, and maybe you're going through this now. And, and you're lacking confidence through the conflicts of everyday life. The Lord wants to assure us through his word that we can consider Jesus and that he will bring us through. Consider what Ellen White says here in Patriarchs and Prophets. In a marvelous manner, he brought them out of their bondage in Egypt that he might elevate and ennoble them and make them the praise of the earth. But it was necessary for them to encounter difficulties and to endure privations. God was bringing them from a state of degradation and fitting them to occupy an honorable place among the nations and receive an important sacred trust. Sorry for the typos. He wanted to do a bigger and better thing than he ever had done with Israel before. And if, I don't know what you've experienced in your life, but whenever these inconveniences come up, whenever there's challenges, for example, perhaps you're faithful and you, you, you don't see money coming in for tuition. Perhaps you've, you have lived a pure Christian life and yet it doesn't seem like God is providing you that spouse that you've always wanted and knew you had that could elevate your ministry. And you can think of your own experience. And you kind of, you feel this entitlement, like, God, what's going on? Why aren't you leading me in the way that I thought you would be leading me? In my freshman year in college, I had gone through a similar experience. Like I had said, he had delivered me from um, the, sla the slavery, the slavery of sin. And uh, he, he, he sh showed me that, you know, you have some gifts and, and perhaps you'll do ministry full time. He spoke to me through other people and I eventually came to Weimar and I had in my mind like, okay, God, you had called me to do ministry. You, you, you brought me here to, to Weimar College actually to learn. But why is it that I'm not getting good grades and I'm putting everything I have into what I'm doing, you know? Why isn't it, why, why am I not having that mountaintop experience like I had in the past? 
And all of a sudden, what I started to do is I started complaining in my heart. I started murmuring, just like Israel had done in the wilderness at Meribah. You know, we shouldn't, we, we shouldn't think of murmuring or complaining as some kind of side issue, like, or like some lower, lower sin. The sin of unbelief that manifests itself in murmuring is a great and horrible sin and a subtle one. It sows seeds of discord. When I started to do that, it started to spread to my friends. They started to do the same thing, and all of, all of a sudden, we were in a downward spiral. And I actually sank into a depression in my life. I mean, how, I'm thinking, how could this have ever happened? God had just split the Red Sea for me in my own life. And yet he's allowing this to happen. And I continue to complain. And I continue to mur- murmur. Not realizing that God was fitting me that God was taking me from degradation and trying to ennoble me and purify me and make me the person he's always wanted me to be. Have you gone through that experience before? Maybe you're going through it now. We can have confidence through Christ through the conflict because he is the one who built the church and he'll maintain it. He'll do the same in your life and he'll do it in our church as well. See, what's fascinating is when we lose confidence in Christ in our own life through the daily challenges, is what it does is it projects this misconception of his church and his movement that you're in. And it may happen in a vice versa way. You might might lack confidence in his movement because all of a sudden, as a new convert, you come into the church and you realize, wow, every, everyone's not perfect. Whoa, there's challenge. People are fighting over, like, really small things. And you're tempted to harden your heart because you lose confidence that God has a last day movement who wants to maintain his law and who wants to... He wants to maintain his truth. The ranks are falling away from the remnant. I don't know if, you've, I don't know if you have uh, experienced that or you noticed that in our church. The ranks are falling from the remnant. Within the last year, I've had two friends who have completely jumped off board. Completely and totally. And when you ask them, they'll say, well, yeah, yeah you know, it, it, it wasn't really the people... Um, or it wasn't really the people, it wasn't the beliefs, I just wanted to do my own thing. And I'm thinking, yeah, right, that's, you know, that, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. What happened is that a family member died, they didn't get the position in the job that they wanted, they felt this complex of entitlement, and they hardened their heart against God, and all of a sudden they started to fall away. This was the danger in the first century church, and it's the uh, danger for us as, as God's last day movement as well. Let's continue on in Hebrews chapter 3, reading in verse 10 to 11. 
It says, therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Do you hear the heart of God in this passage? That's, that's something I want to encourage you to do in your daily devotions and Bible studies, is to try to hear the heart of God in his word. He is frustrated. He has done everything that he could do for his people. And yet, just like a spouse who had just got married, after the honeymoon, when, when, when rough times started to come, they started they started to say, well, maybe we shouldn't have got married. It's pretty much the same way. Wouldn't that be horrible? <laughs> like after the honeymoon, all of a sudden your spouse looks to you and says, man, I, th- I never thought we had had issues. I-, I don't think I want to do this. I think I want to go back to-, to being single. That's what Israel was doing with God. And, he- and he's like, you-, you don't understand. You have to go through this to learn something about yourself and learn something about me. You need to learn how to maintain that commitment to the very end. And so that's what he's trying to do in our lives, and I found that in my life. They do not know my ways. Now come with me to uh, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8. We get a, a better insight as to what these ways What are these ways? What are God's ways? He said, they do not know my ways. They always go astray in their heart. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, let's start in verse 2. It says, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know, know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. We need to realize that whenever a challenge comes up, whenever we go through a trial, whenever we're severely tested, that God is trying to seek to reveal himself to you in a way that he had never revealed before. When we face those trials, we can't just say, oh, maybe God is trying to teach me this, or maybe he's, you know, perhaps he's, no, he is. If you're functioning with a great controversy worldview, as a good Adventist should, you'll know that every step along the way, he he wants to reveal himself through you as Satan throws those wrenches on your path and on your journey. And as a practical tidbit, and what I found to be helpful in my life is whenever I'm going through that, is to ask God, what are you trying to teach me about you, first of all, and what are you trying to teach me 
about myself? Ask those questions every single time, every single time, and have confidence in him through the conflicts. And he will, he will show you. He will show you. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 8, this is a summary of the wilderness experience. And he's saying, I was trying to humble you. Maybe you feel like, man, this is not fair. Like, I'm going to church every weekend. I'm active in ministry. Why am I going through this? He's trying to humble you. You have no idea what's in your heart. You have no idea what's in your heart. And so he's trying to take us from degradation, and he's trying to, well, as Patrick would say, dehumanization to rehumanization. He wants us to be that praise in the earth, like he, he promised that we would be. But we've got to go through some things before we get there. But the beautiful thing is that we can see God in a bigger and better way than we ever had before. And that the world itself will see it, to see him and his character truly for what it is because of our example, because of our witness. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, we're kind of skipping forward in the book. But summarizing, Paul goes in depth. He goes into a little bit more detail into considering Christ. Whenever you're going through an issue, whenever you're going through a challenge, when you're, you're feeling tempted to to, to feel entitled, like, I deserve this. And you're losing sight of what God is trying to do in your life. I recommend going to Hebrews chapter 12. It says in verse 3, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. <laughs> I mean, that's a little hard to take when you're going through issues, isn't it? It's like, have you <laughs> I used to say this to my brother. He'd get hurt and he'd be crying and I'd say, are you bleeding? You know, are you bleeding? Because if you're bleeding, it's not really as bad as you think it is. And in a way, he's kind of saying that. But, but in context of what Christ has gone through, Verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Just like Israel God was taking them from slavery, and he wanted them to become sons. He wanted them to become his children again. He needed to teach him his laws, teach them his laws. And he needed them to look in the future by faith and grasp what 
what uh, he said he would give them. You know, the lessons in life are not always apparent. It's not always clear. Uh, perhaps this morning you, re you realize that you're shunning a challenge in your life or that you've been actually complaining and murmuring about a certain issue, a specific issue. Maybe it, it's a, a corporate thing. Maybe it's an issue you have with our denomination, with people within the denomination and how they're running things. Um, maybe you, you feel like God should be providing you the blessings that he's promised you, but it's not coming as fast as you thought it would. Maybe, maybe you're experiencing that this morning. If you are, I want to encourage you to have confidence through the conflict with Christ. Consider him, the one who built the church and the one who will maintain the church. All you have to do is ask. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Let's bow our heads. There are specific people here this morning, Lord, that are going through some issues in life. You had once given them a powerful experience in their Christian walk. You delivered them from sin. And at this time, they feel disgruntled because things are not going the way that they thought they would go. And Father in, Father in heaven, that specific person here is going through that. I pray that you would help them make the decision to not complain, to not murmur, but to consider how you've led them in the past. For them to consider that as an apostle, that you did everything that you could do to provide them salvation. And you continue to work on their behalf to secure it. And so, Lord, we want to thank you that you're our high priest in heaven, that you're, you ever live to make intercession for us. And so through our challenges, through the conflicts of our journey, we ask that you can help lift our minds higher to you and grasp the atonement and, and, and grasp the love that you have for us on a daily basis. And we thank you, Lord, and we ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.